This episode of Systematic is brought to you by Cards Against Humanity. Cards Against Humanity, probably the exact wrong game to pull out of the hall closet when consulting with religious professionals. Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra. This is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Eric Linder. I should say Rabbi Eric Linder. How's it going, Eric? It's good. How are you doing? I am. Um, I, I just got back from the doctor for my first physical ever. Wow. So I don't have a baseline, but I can say I'm in bad shape. <laughs> well, there's nowhere to go but up then. Right. Well, the thing, yeah, it's a long story, but I just got two new meds on top of the four I'm already taking. So I have, I have quite the medicine cabinet now. <sighs> do you have high blood pressure? I, I do, as a matter of fact. Do you take meds for it? I, I do. All right. Yeah. I'm not alone. I think po- that's possibly a com- common. Yeah. It's p- possibly a combination of, of the rabbi title, but it kind of goes <laughs> with the territory to a certain extent. So tell me about, okay, first I'm curious about the history. How does one become a rabbi? So um, generally speaking in America, uh, someone goes to college and gets a degree, not even usually in religion. So um, when I started college, I was positive I was going to be a jazz saxophone player and then went to lawyer. And then um, just before graduating, uh, the the thought of rabbi came to me. And so uh, I have an undergrad in history. And then um, after being out of college for a year, I decided uh, to go to rabbinical school. So it's it's after college. And uh, my wife and I figured out that including rabbinical school, I have 13 years of college and the student loans to show for it. But so, uh, what does rabbinical school involve? So it's a deep investigation of Judaism. And uh, there's, there's a few different ways to tackle it. But, um, you know, every denomination has their priorities. So, you know, denomination of Judaism. And so I belong to what's known as the reform denomination. It's commonly... Um, known as liberal. Um, One thing that's very important to reform Judaism is uh, the idea that men and women can and should do the same things. There's nothing that one can do that one can't. So in traditional Judaism, a woman, for example, wouldn't lead a service, wouldn't be called to the Torah. Uh, Same goes for gays and homosexuals. Uh, The reform movement was the first a major religious organization to very publicly uh, support the rights and, and responsibilities in terms of uh, living a Jewish life of of gays. And that, that's something that I'm very proud of. And one of the things that uh, makes me affiliated with Reform Judaism. Uh, but very basically, I think it's the idea of taking what's in this 4,000-year-old religion and making it relevant to today. And of course, five years from now, that today is different than this today. And so the idea is that we are constantly reforming ourselves sure. and our identities. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about 4,000 years ago. What, what, where did Judaism come from? I, I've always been curious because, I mean, I know the origins of Christianity. I know the origins of Catholicism and Wesleyism and uh, Buddhism to some extent, but Judaism just kind of... Uh, it, it's just always existed to me. So how how did it start? When did, I mean, is this like, uh, this is pre-Moses, pre-tablets? Right. Where did, where's the origin? So uh, according to the Torah, the origin's with Abraham. 
And it's really interesting. And we could spend hours talking about just this one story as anything else, of course. But um, Abraham, who's not introduced at all, is suddenly called to by God to leave and go start a new people and go to a land that God will show him. And there's a very famous story. It's called a Midrash in Hebrew. Um, And a Midrash is basically a story that explains something that's not in the Torah. So it can explain a mood. It can answer a question. Um, The way I like to define it is if if you've seen the uh, Broadway musical Wicked, for example. I have not, but. But you're aware of it? I am. So Wicked is a Midrash on the Wizard of Oz. So okay. th- that's kind of a way to explain it. So <clears throat> so the Midrash is that Abraham's dad was an idol worshiper. And Abraham just somehow figured out there's only one God. And Abraham destroyed all the idols and told his dad that he refuses to believe them. And so that's what caused God to single Abraham out. Okay. So... The um, the Bible itself has gone through many redactions uh, and and has kind of survived through many religious leaderships. Has the Torah had the same history or is it more static? Yeah, that, that's it's an interesting question because the Torah itself, as in the written words of the five books, are static. And in some ways, that's what makes it so fascinating because because they're static, we can see various ways that people have interpreted the same words for those few thousands of years. And that's something that's interesting to me looking at it from kind of a modern liberal lens as well. Yeah, see, I do find that interesting because the the translations of the Bible are – each translation is technically an interpretation, especially the Old Testament. And – then that gets translated like they translate the King James version in English into, you know, these these cultures that missionaries are headed out to. And it becomes like a, a distortion almost. And I mean, you can believe what you are writing. But I like the idea of if you're going to follow a book, if you're going to follow writings, you know, thousands of years old, it should at least be the original. You should at least be interpreting <laughs> off of the original text okay so abraham um was was it abraham who was asked to sacrifice his son yep yeah okay his son isaac so i i I note that in these early texts it was common for god to appear to visibly you know burning bush or you know a voice like actually communicate and nowadays when people say they talk to god it's through prayer and you know things come to them so at what point did God stop showing his face in, in Judaism? Yeah, that's something that comes up often uh, in Jewish writings. And uh, one thought is that as people got more mature, so to speak, uh, we didn't need that intense interaction anymore. And there's also an idea that uh, God gave more space to us. So by God not interacting, um, it allows for human choice, it allows for free will, um, but there's really no good answer to that. And of course, you know, as, as I talk to my congregants about, if 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 someone came to me and I, I'm a rabbi, if someone came to me and said I heard God's voice, I would think maybe they should go to a doctor. So sure. it, it, it's it's interesting. Yeah. Um, let's see. 
I have so many questions. The in in the Jewish faith, there's no resurrection, is there? <laughs> Again, complicated answer. So, um, it took before it, it took me going to rabbinical school to discover that resurrection is actually very central to Judaism. It's right. just not often discussed in um, certainly in Reformed Judaism that often. And you know, one of the ideas that I like to both teach and live myself is the idea that the the resurrection is one of memory, that we live by making the world better and inspiring others and making people happier and more comfortable and all those sorts of things. And that is what lives on. But as not... opposed to a historical event? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But there is very much a belief in the Messiah in Judaism. As a matter of fact, it's it's it, one of the daily prayers that we pray. It's it's central to that prayer. Um, huh. But again, most liberal Jews don't necessarily know what to do with that. Okay. Um, all right. So I'm jumping around history like crazy right now. But the Bible, the Christian Bible contains three, technically three different recountings of creation. Uh, one in three days, one in seven days, and then one that's a little more ephemeral. Um, is there a clear-cut uh, belief in Judaism about how the world was created? Yes, although there there are two, as you mentioned, conflicting creation stories. And, um, you know, it rem- one of the things Jews are known by culturally is, is the, a tendency to argue and debate. And I think yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. reasons for that is actually because the Torah itself has debate. And so depending on circumstance, one thing might speak to us. But, um, you know, from the text, God created the world in, in six days and then rested on the seventh day, uh, which is why we have Shabbat and, you know, most synagogues like mine has services on Shabbat evening to celebrate creation in our community. Um, that being said, most liberal Jews uh, also believe in evolution and not not necessarily the idea that God literally spoke the world into existence and all those sorts of things. But um, if I can digress for a second. You totally can digress. One of my favorite stories is from a, a rabbi um, in California, Rabbi David Wolpe. That a conservative rabbi, and he gave a sermon on Passover, and if I'm not mistaken, um, basically talked about the fact that the exodus, the freedom from Egypt, which we know from Charlton Heston movies and so forth, <laughs> never actually happened, which is kind of a radical thing to say to a congregation of a thousand. And he told this story where, without going into the long story, someone uh is in front of a judge as a possible character witness in a trial. And the judge says, why should he be a character witness? And the lawyer says, well, a few years ago, someone stole everything from him. And instead of calling the police or acting in self-defense, he decided to give all of his things away. And the judge, and if you've ever seen Lame Miz, that's my second Broadway reference. Um, <laughs> it's kind of the scene where, where he gives Jean Valjean the precious candles, right? So, the judge says, give me a break. No one would do that. That can't be true. Is that really true? And the lawyer says, honestly, judge, I wasn't there. I don't know if it's true. But I know that they don't tell stories like that about you and they don't tell stories like that about me. And so the Torah is the story we tell ourselves about who we are. Okay. Okay. At what point is it... Uh... At what point do you believe that this all went into writing? At what point did it go from oral tradition 
into a canonical text? Yeah, I mean, depending on what scholar you ask, and, and that's a question more for archaeologists and kind of biblical scholars, um, you'll get a wide variety yeah, yeah. of opinions. Um, I assume you study this in rabbinical school, though. Oh, yeah. I assume yeah. it's debated but, in rabbinical school. <laughs> it's definitely debated. I think I even went to the, that class, Brett. Um, I, I know around the 12th century is something that's bandied about, um, but it, it's all over the map. Okay. Kind of like this conversation. Yeah, pretty much, but in I, a good uh, way, yeah. See, this is what I appreciate about Judaism, especially I, I enjoy talking to rabbis because nothing is clear cut. <laughs> Because it, it, the entire religion appears to be about questioning. It appears to be about uh, an- analyzing and not just blind faith. I mean, there is faith, but it's, yeah. not, it's, not, as, uh, it's not as annoying to me. <laughs> That's an interesting way to put that. I like that. <laughs> you know, I think the, the faith aspect, and I'm, I'm only speaking for myself here. I'm sure. not speaking for Jews writ large, but the faith is not necessarily in a uh, in an outside God. It's actually in Judaism itself and more particularly in the Jewish people. And so th- this is where we get things like commun- why Jewish community is so important and, uh, and the way that Jews act together and celebrate together and mourn together. I mean, that's a huge part of the religion. Um, there's a great quote in the, in the Talmud, which uh, is attributed to God. And God says, better they forget about me than forget about my laws. And of course, the, the laws are, there's 613 laws what? in Judaism. Yeah, there's a lot of them. And the majority of them do not have to do with God. The majority of them have to do with regular everyday behavior. Of course, some of them are like if your ox scores another ox in the market square, we don't. That may not happen anymore. But the parallels in terms of how we deal with each other absolutely do, and so that's what God cares about. So does God have lawyers? Are rabbis like God's lawyers? <laughs> to do these laws ever get amended or added to, that, adjusted or just interpreted? I'll tell you, Brett. These questions are making me think you could uh, go to rabbinical school. <laughs> So there's this, my other favorite Jewish story, your question totally reminds me of it, is these rabbis are arguing over this very esoteric law. I mean, it's like as specific as you could get and like really honing down. And one of the rabbis is vehemently disagreeing. The others are all against him. And he does this thing where he says, like, you know, you or I might say to our wives, you know, if I'm wrong, let God strike me down. Like, I know I'm right. I would never say that. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm usually wrong, so yeah. <laughs> Me too. So, so here said, if I'm right, let God's voice come down itself and verify it. And, you know, one thing to know is in the Talmud, God's voice actually doesn't come down that often. And so in this story, God's voice comes down and says, the law is as he says it is. He is right. And the other rabbis tell God basically to shut up. They say, it's not up to you anymore. Nobody you, asked you. Yeah, nobody <laughs> asked you. The, you gave us the Torah and now it's up to us. All right. I, I find this very intriguing. Uh, Ju- Judaism, Jews don't proselytize. Is that true? It is true to the extent of, you know, knocking, there's not Jews knocking on doors saying, you know, do you want to be Jewish? And, and I think part of that is we don't, have the same concept of salvation that yeah. other 
denominations have, but yeah. Yeah, you don't have the urgent uh, call to action that requires pamphlets and leaflets. <laughs> like you don't, have, you don't have to explain to complete strangers the uh, the love of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Which yeah, has I to be awkward, that. right? I mean, I, I I kind of admire those those people. I mean, that takes a lot of, as we would say, chutzpah, just to knock <laughs> on doors and. Okay, Yiddish. So, <laughs> where does Yiddish originate? Is is are early books of the Torah like in Yiddish? And I'm talking about. I guess I'm talking about what modern, like, Jewish slang Yiddish, not the actual language. Mm-hmm. What, is there a – are the words like like uh, uh, mensch and, and chutzpah and, and schlep, are these actual Yiddish words or are they just referred to as Yiddish in a slang way? No, uh, it is slang, but they're Yiddish words that have kind of come into the vernacular through, you know, pop culture and things like that. Uh, but they're definitely part of the language. I do love Yiddish. I, I wish Google Translate could like <laughs> convert regular English sentences that would into be... into the things that my Jewish friends would say. Yeah, that I have to go look up later. There's some great humor books. There's one, if I remember correctly, about George Bush, and it's all things about George Bush, but written in <laughs> Yiddish phrases. I um, I think it was a recent episode of the simpsons where homer said yiddish sure has a lot of funny words for not so funny things that's that's yeah that's perfectly (laughs) expressed i remember this the simpsons movie actually uh, i used this in a holiday sermon a few years ago um i remember they're they're in the uh church and something happens and homer flips through the bible and he's like damn it there are no answers in here (laughs) i enjoyed that yes all right well uh, given the new 30-minute format, I feel like I'm cutting this conversation extremely short. We have 4,000 years of history to discuss, but uh, I may have to have you back for my second lesson in Judaism. That would be fantastic. Uh, and that will bring us to the top three picks. Is Are, are any of your top three picks related to the Jewish faith? They're the Jewish, not. Is that, is that even a word? Jewish faith? Is, sure. Okay. I just sure. felt like that was a misnomer of some kind. Yeah, Judaism, Jewish faith, we'll just, Judaism, yeah. Uh, they're not, maybe okay. I should, they could be, but <laughs> uh, no, I was just wondering if, if we were going to have further tie-ins, but we will start round Robin and you will begin. So tell me what your first top pick this week is. So, uh, my first is a, a video game. Um, in addition to, uh, theology and religion, I'm a bit of a gamer and, uh, there's this game on the Xbox one called Fibbage. And it's, it's, it uses technology in a really cool way. You get people over. It's kind of like a party game. And uh, it'll ask a question uh, that most people won't know the answer to. So I, I remember one question. It was like, it's like Balderdash. Yeah. It'll say something like, um, you know, in 1962, the School of Rhode Island designed a mascot for the local hockey team. And it was a blank. And then on your smartphone, you've navigated to this page, you enter in a a code, and then you write in an answer. And then all those answers show up on the TV and people vote for them. And sometimes people use private jokes and it just becomes kind of bawdy and funny. And uh, yeah, it's really, it's a good time. It it sounds like it. I do enjoy it. I I am always nervous to play those games with various groups of friends (laughs) uh, because I never know how it's going to go, but it almost always turns out to be a blast. Yeah, Cards um, Against Humanity is like that, too. I was right? just going to say I had a very bad game of Cards Against Humanity a couple nights ago. I was just totally off. 
Because you know how you have to read the person <laughs> That's who right. you're playing the card to because it's entirely subjective or uh, like, yeah, you can't, you can't play abortion cards to people who <laughs> will not laugh at the idea. It gets very um, complex. Yes. Uh, yeah. I had a really bad time. I got really frustrated. I started playing my cards before the questions were asked just out of defiance. Yeah. It actually, that reminds me of something Jewish actually, Brad, on the, on the top of most arcs in most sanctuaries around the world, it says a Hebrew phrase that translates to know before whom you stand. And that relates in a lot of ways there. Yeah, it totally does. <laughs> All right. Well, my first one's a game too. Um, I just picked up a game called 1010 exclamation point. Oh, I don't know. So it's that like 1010. Um, it, it's, it's, it's similar in appearance to Tetris, but not at all in gameplay. Uh, you drag uh, Tetris-looking shapes onto a grid, and when you complete a row, it disappears, but nothing falls, nothing moves. And when you get a piece that you didn't save room to play, that's when your game is over. So huh. you get three pieces at a time, and you put them on the board, and as your space fills up, it gets more and more complex. You have to start... Because you have no idea. There's no look ahead. So you don't know what's coming next. You have to account for all possibilities. It's it's complicated and frustrating, and I'd rather enjoy it. Huh. I'll check that out. I think it was free, too, except there's tons of in-app ads. My two favorite games are both numerical, but 2048 <laughs> and 1010 are both they're free with like interstitial ads. Every time a game ends you get the interstitial ad. And some of them now even have countdowns. So you have to watch it for five seconds. All the game of war uh, ads. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I hate Yeah, that. those are everywhere. I would They're gladly Facebook pay every- to get rid of those. Yeah, agreed. Anyway. All right, number two. So uh, my second, um, I think, is the, the Philips Hue light system. Okay. So uh, I, got the, I got these as a, I think, as an engagement gift from uh, my parents and, and my wife's parents. And... Uh, for people that don't know, they're, they're LED light bulbs that connect to your wireless router, and then you could do all sorts of fun things with them through your iPhone and change colors and whatnot. And uh, in the last week, uh, we've redone some furniture things, and I convinced my wife to get them in the kitchen. And, you know, I'm just playing around with recipe, light recipes, and uh, just having a good time with that. How many do you have in the kitchen? So we have um, two of the Lux bulbs, which are just the white ones, and then yeah. one of the canned color ones. Okay. Uh, but in the room I'm talking to you now in, I have four of the color ones. And See, it, I, if, if you could perform some of the you know, really cool lighting setups with one or two, I would be more willing to spend, what is it, like 100 bucks a bulb? It's, it's like, per bulb, it's 60 But the starter pack, which you have to get because it has the bridge that connects to the router, that's like 200 And that's what I got as a gift, thankfully. Yeah. I just put um, all 12-watt LEDs in our kitchen, which has 12 bulbs in it with all the fixtures. And I, I just I absolutely love LED bulbs. And I have yet to have an issue, all dimmable. But I have a friend who's currently working on a project. It's secret. I can't talk about it. But it involves him having racks of every kind of Wi-Fi light bulb. So he has an office with just rows of like (laughs) Hue and Insteon. And I don't even know the names of all of them. But he he, he can sit there and just, you know, they're turning on and changing colors. And it's very cool. It'll be cool when the project is finished, too. Um, 
but yeah, I have not gotten the only colored lights I have are IKEA strips. They they sell these strips that have 256 degree rotating hue controllers, right? And you can hack those to work with USB. Uh, so I have had some fun with automating. I think I've talked about it on the show before, but I have a a red light which doesn't disturb sleep patterns mounted underneath the ed- my side of the bed. So if I stay up late, I can tap up my phone and it will fade in a red light so I can find like a landing strip so oh, I can cool. find my way to bed without waking my wife up. Yeah. I like That's that. the kind of thing I spend my time on. <laughs> All right. So my number two, I'm kind of, uh, kind of making this up as I go this week, but have you seen the new button apps from IFTTT? I have. I'm using some of them. Yeah. You've got the do button, do camera, and do note. Do button, you can assign to any IFTTT recipe that you have. And you can basically, with two taps, you know, open the app and then tap the button. And for me, I have one that turns my thermostat to 60 and one that turns it to 70 because those are pretty much what my Nest is usually set at. And so I can just quick. The thing is, if I get up too early in the morning and my uh, my Nest isn't you know ready to heat up the house and we at night it's 52 degrees and if i get up early in the morning and i'm sitting at my computer my boxers half awake i won't realize how cold i am until i'm literally blue and (laughs) so so yeah so i have that set up so as soon as i realize that i'm shivering i'll just tap the do button and then do camera and do note are pretty much what they sound like just easy access sending notes and I, I drafts is my pick for notes, but oh yeah, absolutely. But yeah, for for sending a quick picture to somebody, do cameras pretty cool too. Yeah, I, I've been playing around with those, and actually, I would love to talk to you about what you do for your nest because I'm not sure uh, I'm maximizing the the geek factor on that enough. There, oh, see, I uh, there the API opened up last year, and uh, and there are Python scripts that you yeah you can do a lot of cool stuff with it that I haven't taken full advantage of yet either. But all right, so number three. So uh, I, I will. Uh, I, I was debating between two, but I, I'm reading this great book right now, um, and it's it's not about Judaism per se, but it is about something we talked about, which is uh, translation, and it's called um, "And God Said." How Translations Conceal the Bible's Original Meaning. And the author's name is Joel Hoffman, who is a, a professor of mine at uh, Hebrew Union College. And it, it, it not only does it talk about how different translations can point to completely different interpretations, but the act of translating itself. And so what, one of the examples he gives is if something in the Bible, for example, rhymes and it's meant to convey that sort of poetic um, structure, then do you translate it so that the, the literal meaning of the words is intact, but it doesn't rhyme? Or do you do a translation where, you know, the literal meaning may not capture the words, but you have the you have a larger kind of aesthetic meaning, which is preserved. And so all sorts of things like that. And and these are all fun things to, to talk about and learn and, you know, as you, I think, correctly alluded to, you know, more struggling and in interpreting. Yeah, I would be curious to read that because I grew up in the Christian church and there were psalms and the psalms rarely made sense poetically. And given the choice between the two options you just described, I would want literal translations, not don't make it rhyme for the sake of 
you know, my poetic understanding. Right. Let me know what it was actually saying. And a lot of the Psalms actually came through. Uh, the imagery is still there. They're still, they have a beauty to them, but they're not, they're not little like quintuplet rhyming. Oh, absolutely. Or anything. And like slave is a good example of that because, you know, you hear the English word slave and most Americans I'm guessing think of, uh, the the civil war and what being mm. a slave meant or and, bdsm right <laughs> i don't know about that one brett i'll, I'll i don't know anything I'll, about yeah. that but um in the bible and in the torah it, it's a it's a different context but it is the same word and so yeah all sorts of fun things with, with translation cool yeah i it's i will add that to my list of amazon books that i will read i will buy when i'm ready to read them because i used to have an amazon addiction and i still have books on my shelf that are mint that i've never cracked open yep um so yeah i have a wish list now instead of a a bookshelf (laughs) they're mint on my kindle but same same thing (laughs) yeah okay Yes, and I, I still do have that problem because I feel like they don't take up space. Well, they're a little bit cheaper on the Kindle. I justify it that way. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So my last pick is another iOS app. Everything I've mentioned so far is iOS, but uh, there's a n- relatively new app called Darkroom, and there are so many photo apps available, and this one is a little bit different in that it doesn't have its own camera roll. It's designed more for post editing than for actual shooting. And it has great color options, full range of uh, like lighting and black point and all of your adjustments. And it basically takes what's in Apple's camera app and extends it. And what you're editing shows up right in your camera roll. Uh, so it, it's kind of more fluid than most of the camera apps are with, with the native uh, camera app. So... I, I'm enjoying that one. I believe it's free to download, but then you have to pay. Uh, I think it's four ninety nine for the curves adjustment, which is awesome and worth uh, the yes. money. Is the icon two triangles that yes. look like the pyramids of Egypt? That is the one. <laughs> but there's only two of them. Right? Aren't there three in Giza? There are. I'm telling you, Brett. You you have a another. I think you have a real religious awakening ahead of you. We'll see about that. <laughs> I had a I had a religious sleepening quite a while ago. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to talk about my faith because <laughs> there really isn't much to talk about. So I I'm I've just had this infinite curiosity about especially old religions, like aged religions, and uh, and I don't know if that will ever go away. I enjoy reading a I I enjoy comparing them. I think more yeah. than anything, and it. it one thing that um, if I if I can end on this is, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that the Torah has 613 rules. Yeah. So no verb is repeated more in the Torah than the verb to remember, zachor. And, and Judaism places this great emphasis on history. Another Broadway, <laughs> I'm not doing this on purpose, but, you know, when Tevye sings tradition yes. in uh, Fiddler on the Roof, it, it really highlights that sense of history but at the same point there's also a huge emphasis going back to what god said to abraham of lech lecha of moving forward and so in some ways it's it's this real beautiful mixture of honoring one's history while also growing 
in uniqueness and holiness into the future. And that balance for me is just a beautiful, exciting thing. And it's done in community, which makes it all the more meaningful. And Jewish. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Not unique to Judaism, certainly, but uh, but it is Jewish for sure. All right. Well, thanks, Eric. I should should I is is Rabbi like Doctor? Should you always address a Rabbi as <laughs> Rabbi Eric? Um, yeah, yeah, you know, formally, yes. You know, uh, my congregants will call me Rabbi Linder in synagogue, and but uh, you know, socially, Eric. Some people Rabbi, some people Rabbi Linder. Hopefully it's nothing other than those two. But uh. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you, Rabbi Linder, for being here this week. This has been fun. And Absolutely. Uh, where can you be found if people want more info on you? Well, I have uh, a blog uh, that I post sermons that I've written that I actually like, and that's um, RabbiEricLinder.com. And then um, I have a few Twitter accounts, but uh, the one relating – to this conversation would be Rabbi Linder. And then um, other kind of ephemera would be uh, E-R-O-X-X. <laughs> I'm taking notes. But uh, E-I-O-X-X. E-R. The, the joke oh, is... Oh, E-Rocks. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got it. Could, we have notes from previous conversations. That's right. I will, I will make sure they're all there. Um, and then, let's see. Oh, yeah, me. I'm BrettTerpshire.com and TT Scoff on Twitter and everywhere else. It ADNs around. I'm still there too. But um, yeah, this was good. I learned a lot. I appreciate it. This was it. great, Brett. Thanks so much. All right. And we will talk to everybody in a week. <laughs>